SMS SAFM now on 41391. Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. I'd like to welcome our first A-team guest, Nicolene Skuman-Lowe, who is the founder and managing director at Skuman Law Incorporated. Nicolene, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. We are talking about um, restraint of trade, and I know that a lot of people in who are employed right now might not even remember the day that they signed the employment contracts, and they would be surprised to find out that there is a restraint of trade. So, firstly, before we even go into COVID nineteen and restraint of trade, let's give us an understanding as to what this uh, clause is enforceable on. Well, typically we see restraint of trade clauses, as you've mentioned, in employment contracts, but it's not confined to employment. We also see these clauses in executive agreements, including director agreements. And then last but not least, we also see them in other commercial agreements. Um, It's often a penalty for exchanging sensitive or commercially sensitive information in case a breach happens. So typically, we would see this as a penalty to a non-disclosure agreement, for example, where both sides are exchanging highly sensitive information. And besides recourse in court, there's a, call it a, a stick approach to it in order to ensure that everyone complies. So the main aim of these from a company or an employer's perspective is to ensure that all the sensitive information you may be exposed to whilst being in the employ of the company or the employer is safeguarded. And this could include customers, it could include suppliers and other sensitive bits of information. So during your employment or the the transaction on which this clause is based, you'll see a confidentiality clause usually also in your contract so that you'll protect information whilst you're in the employee. And when you leave, you promise not to do anything that effectively makes unfair use of this personal sensitive information to give you a commercial advantage, which you would not have had had you not used this information. But so now, that's what it is in a nutshell. But now, Nicolene, I've, I've um, heard of other restraint of trades that will even give you um, um, distance as to you can't work for another company similar in in trade within uh, the next 50 kilometers radius. Is, is this yes. also something that could or should be in these uh, contracts? So it, it's quite complex and dependent on the underlying transaction. So in many cases, you'll see um, these clauses when in an employment setting, for example, the protectable interest of the company or the employer would be such as to say, you know, we, we don't want to see the establishment of competition. In other words, an employee leaves your employee, starts a business doing exactly the same thing as his employer did. And that's what it seeks to prevent. Similarly, being or taking up employment with a supplier or a customer, which 
inevitably could lead to you disclosing some information which would then impede on the employer's ability to operate in a free and fair marketplace. So that's the underlying um, principle to protect what we call the protectable interest. That's the, the main aim of this. And it could extend to saying you can't work in this area for this amount of time when you leave my employer or when you exit the business. So it can take many forms and it's critical before you put pen to paper that you understand what your restraint means and that you carefully consider it before just simply signing on the deadline. Well, A-teamers, we are looking at employment contracts uh, that uh, have uh, the restraint of trade clause. And uh, we are talking to our A-team um, legal expert, who's Nicolene Schumann-Law. And and I'd like to hear from you, uh, A-teamer, if you have had an instance where you looked at your employment contract and you realized that the restraint of trade really does not permit you to move around should you leave that employment. And and how did you face this? The number to dial is 011-714-2006 or you can WhatsApp an 0614104107. Now, COVID-19, Nicolene, has uh, created a, a, a different playing field for employers and employees. So has there been any changes around enforcement of restraint of trade uh, clause uh, due to COVID-19? I think if, if we look at what COVID-19 has brought about in the marketplace, um, previously, we've seen that these clauses are unlimited in the application. It just speaks of termination of employment. Now, we know in labor law that termination of the employment relationship can happen in a number of ways. It can happen because of a disciplinary hearing um, that found you guilty and you were dismissed as a result. It could be because of constructive dismissal and you chose to exit. It could be because of poor work performance, in other words, a capacity issue. Or, and this is the important part, retrenchment. And recently we've, we've had a case in court that has noted that in the case of retrenchments, and remember, for, for this is unprecedented, the number of retrenchments we've seen since the, um, the, the start of the pandem- pandemic is absolutely unprecedented, meaning that we've got so many people whose employment have been terminated and not because of a fault-based or a principle based on any degree of their own control, meaning that you get retrenched and now you have this restraint, meaning you can't work. The court has stepped in and there's been a critical ruling um, which has said that when an employee is dismissed as a result of a retrenchment process because of COVID-19, specifically in this instance, then the restraint is unenforceable. Now, remember, restraints are also debatable in their very nature. It's all about a constitutional uh, weighing up of rights that needs to happen. Yes, the employer, the business has a right to trade and to trade fairly without someone using private information against them, you know, using it as a springboard to build this competitive business in an unfair, unethical manner. That's the principle. But similarly, 
on the other side of this argument is an employee that has to make a living. And if you are restrained from working for three years or 18 months or 12, whatever the case may be, that can have a serious impact on your ability to make a living and ultimately to survive. And that was actually the key question that the court had to weigh up in these very special, unprecedented times. So right now, if you have been retrenched, then it is precedent where restraints of trades are unenforceable in certain instances. But in order for those to, to take place, clearly one would need to seek legal advice. Absolutely. Um, absolutely critical to, to ensure that from the outset, um, before you put pen to paper, understand what you are essentially signing away if you have a restraint of trade clause or a separate agreement attached to whichever transaction, employment or commercial transaction you're entering into. And assess whether if things don't go the way you hope they'll go, will you be able to make a living? That's the key question I would say that you need to ask yourself before you agree to it. If you've already agreed to it, you know, much to do about nothing is to say now. We can't go back in time. But what we can do is to assess your ability and the enforceability of that clause. Some of these clauses are unfairly drafted, are too broad are too restrictive and make themselves legally unenforceable. So it's absolutely critical to spend a little bit of time and a little bit of money to get that good piece of advice and to decide what the next and best step for you would be. We are talking restraint of trade and COVID-19, what the law says with uh, uh, Nicolene Skuman-Lowe. Let me go to an A-team. I remember, if you'd like to call in, ask your questions or give comments, it's uh, on 011-714-2006 or you can SMS on 41391. WhatsApps go to 0614-104-107. Sidwell, A-team, good evening. Hello. Good evening, Sidwell. How are you? Excellent. Yes, uh, just good evening to the listeners and uh, your visitor. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the contractors and uh, I'm an employer. I've got uh, 105 employees in my company. Mm-hmm. Yes. But we, 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 we're finding a difficult, especially I'm working on the side of the Northwest, we are finding difficulties whereby uh, the workers... I don't know, is it a tradition or what? Uh, I would like the lady just to to explain to me how this thing works, because I've tried it, I've tried it. What I've been doing in my company, I've been uh, paying the general workers 4.6 per month. I'm paying the place to stay for them. I'm paying the transportation for them in the company. Those are access for the companies in the contract. Those are GAs, general workers. But the problem that I'm experiencing every time, on the month end, they are not at work on Monday. Or Friday of the month end, they are not at work without any notice, without nothing at all. When you start prosecuting these things, the problems that you are having, the, the counselors are getting involved into something like to say, you are firing our members, you are firing our people and such kind of things. People in many ways, they are coming at work smelling liquor, they are coming, those kind of behaves. And uh, when, when, when you take these things to the labor department, in some of the departments, they are protecting them to say, 
Where, where is your report to say he's drunk? Yes, this is a report that says he's got a 2% or 5% on his body. Then the next thing, no, 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 you must give him another chance, give him a warning. So I, I, w- I would like to have an advice from the lady. A person who's paid like Friday, Monday is not at work, Tuesday not at work, no notice of a doctor, nothing. That person come on Wednesday as everything is normal. The company is losing a production at the end of the day. He has to sustain the money that he's been paying him at the end of the month for us to have some claims up front. Then, the other question again, I'm sorry to make quite many questions. Mm? I find one of my workers, they are claiming the 350 from the post office. They've been given that money, but at the end of the day, they are receiving 4.6 from the company they are working. How, 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 how do we deal with such kind of things? Because that is fraud. Sure. Can, can, can just, we, we are having a serious problem on yeah, the ground, especially, well. especially in construction. Sure, said well. Thank you very much for pointing out uh, the issues, and uh, I'm sure Nicoline, although it's not a part of the topic we're discussing, mm. but very relevant to workers. Thank you, said well. Please listen on the air, Nicoline. Let's start with the last point where he speaks about fraudulent activity, claiming uh, a relief grant, uh, but you are also earning an income. Mm. That yeah, that that of course is is nothing other than classic fraud be very blunt about it. So from an employer's perspective, that is a serious form of misconduct. And I, that cannot be resolved by way of issuing a warning of any sort, verbal or written, or even a final written warning that would need to go to a hearing and you would need to move for the penalty of dismissal. In addition to that, you would have a responsibility as an employer to report to your relevant um, South African police services, your SAPS office, um, so that they can investigate this. And they'll likely also involve the Department of Social Development in the process. So absolutely critical to deal with it in a very, very firm way, procedurally correct by calling a hearing, uh, putting the charges to the person, giving them the opportunity to state their case, but if, if it's been done, it's been done. And you cannot have another penalty other than dismissal. So it often helps from an employer's perspective to outsource your disciplinary hearing process to an independent person, not just because it allows for a fair process, it also removes your own investment, your own personal emotional investment in the process, which is often detrimental to running a, uh, a good process. So in essence, that um, that's, would be my recommendation. You need to deal with it and you need to deal with it firmly. But uh, definitely uh, take up external um, assistance uh, in terms of uh, the legal processes that you need to follow yes. with your human resources. Because obviously you mm. can imagine if you have to work with the people every single day and you see them every day, but you also need to, 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 to be a... You know, the human resources person, it becomes a bit difficult or tricky. Let me go to KGM. KGM, good evening. Good evening, Patricia. Good evening to your guest and to the listeners. I'm going to try to be as quick as possible. Uh, look, I've, I've done it from from being a single employee of my company uh, in the informal trade all the way to whatever you, you want to you wanna call the, the multi, multinational now. 
Uh, yes. I'll tell you this much. Uh, the, the, this this is a systematic problem. Um, I'm sort of addressing one of the callers was the previous caller who was asking what what can he do. Uh, the, 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 this is systematic. It it was designed not to give small what we call SMMEs a, a chance to even have a shot at being a multinational. That you, you can do whatever you want. I promise you, the challenges that you have as an as an SMME is not the same challenge that the multinational have. If, if you don't get an opportunity of of some sort to to run a multinational or to buy a stake into a multinational, you will run a, an SMME until you retire, and the system will be the one that is at the helm of destroying your business at, at making sure that you, your business does not grow. And I think that, that's the focal point. We, we need to mm. learn how to interrupt this or disrupt the system and, and make sure that the system that we use is, is profitable, is beneficial to us all. Patricia? Thanks for taking my call. Thank you very much, KGM, for that. Nicoline, as uh, we close off, you can comment on um, KGM's um, um, uh, view there. But also, uh, please do give us how how do we enforce during COVID-19 this restraint of trade clause uh, in in an amicable way? Well, first and foremost, um, I think it's absolutely critical for an employer um, to ensure that the employees understand the seriousness and the sensitivity of whatever they are being exposed to, whether it be confidential information, client information, supplier, etc. And because that's the core purpose, the, the commercially sensitive information that if taken and used in an unfair, unlawful way, that is what we are essentially trying to protect. So we need to look at that, make sure that your employees, your staff complement, understand how sensitive the information is that they're working with, what the repercussions are for breach under, and we haven't even touched on POPI, the Protection of Personal Information Act, and the imposition of the obligation on all of us to act responsibly when dealing with any form of private information, whether it belongs to our employer or a customer, irrelevant. It is quite critical for us to not forget that confidential information and data is an important legal concept. That's the first point. I think we need we need to talk about this more and we need to un- make sure that we all understand why it's important. Mm. Secondly, um, in terms of amicable enforcement, well, in my view and in my experience, enforcement is rarely amicable when it comes to breaches of this kind. It's, it's because it's so sensitive and it's something that gets shown and used somewhere where it shouldn't be. It's, it's almost in the same degree as theft, and that's what many people experience it as. So best is if there is a breach, go to a lawyer or if you can't, send a strongly worded message to this erstwhile colleague or employee and say to them, you are doing this and this that is in contravention of your contract, your restraint of trade clause. Please don't do that. Hopefully it stops. Otherwise, you'll have to escalate it and refer it to an attorney to assist you further. 
But for any further information, our website is full of useful blogs on the topic, and we do offer 10-minute free consultations. For anyone who has any further questions who possibly didn't get through or didn't feel comfortable to ask them on air. Please go ahead. Give us your web web address. It's www.skumanlaw.co.za. Excellent. Thank you so very much, uh, Nicolene. We really look forward to having more conversations with you. It seems there's a lot of people who are asking around uh, general labor uh, law issues, especially right now. So I think that's the next discussion we should be having. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me. Excellent.